0: Good morning. Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, we're aware that you're here. For that we're grateful. I don't know what kind of baggage that each person has brought into this room. I pray if it's just a distraction, Lord, that we'll be able to set it aside and focus on you and and your word. If it's something that needs your tending, I pray that we will feel your nudges. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Okay, we're going to talk about peer pressure this morning. It's one of the most powerful forces on earth that influences human behavior, right? Peer pressure. There is not a single person in this room who has not succumbed to it. And for some of the people in this room, it flat out owns us. There's way more power over us than God. Your family, your friends, the people you admire, the people you want to be accepted by, sometimes have more power over you than God, it seems. From the moment we're born to the day we die. See, usually we connect peer pressure with kids. With good reason. It scares us sometimes as we begin to realize that there are other people who are going to have more influence on our kids than we do, even than God. Peer pressure influences how our kids dress, how they talk, what they value, what causes they choose, who they like, who they diss, what stupid stunts they pull to be noticed, to be accepted, to be liked. So let's play a little game. Let's see how honest you are, because I suspect, pretty sure, that everybody in this room was a kid once, right? As kids, how many of you guys ever bowed to peer pressure when it came to how you dressed or how you fixed your hair? Raise your hands. you got to answer, because if you don't, you're lying like dogs. Okay? As kids, how many of you guys ever bowed to peer pressure when it came to something you drank or something you ate? Go ahead and raise your hands. Again, if you didn't, I suspect you're lying like dogs. As kids, how many of you guys ever did something you knew was wrong, maybe disobeying your parents or something way worse because of peer pressure? Raise your hands. Maybe you never did, but I suspect you were tempted to. As kids, how many of you guys ever picked a friend or maybe dissed somebody because of peer pressure? Now, like I said, if you weren't raising your hands at all, either you're lying or you didn't have any friends, because you can't go through life without succumbing at some point to peer pressure. got me? I, I can remember this kid from Bandon High School. We all despised him. I didn't know him. I just knew we all despised him. I remember one football game. They kicked off to us, and I was supposed to block somebody but I passed up two or three guys that I should have blocked because I wanted to hit this kid really, really hard. And I did hit him really, really hard. remember after the game, he came up to me, clapped me on the back, smiled, and said I had played a great game. Turned out he was a nice guy, good athlete, solid Christian kid, and I was a total jerk. Because peer pressure can do that to you, right? Now, we hammer our kids for bowing to peer pressure. When as adults, we do the same. Way too often, peer pressure influences us more than God does. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on these because peer pressure is going to cause too many of you to lie. Then you'll battle the shame and guilt. I wish. But as adults, how many of you guys have either drunk something you wouldn't have or drunk too much because of peer pressure? As adults, how many of you guys have either spent too much money on something because of peer pressure or maybe you had to have a certain brand, a certain model from a certain store because of peer pressure? This is Frankfurt. How many of you guys have ever joined a certain political party or voted a certain way because of peer pressure? I know some of you have because you've told me. As adults, how many of you guys have jumped on some political cause or some social cause because of peer pressure? Maybe it's the social cause of the week and all your friends are hyped up about it, so you need to support it too, right? How many of you guys have joined a certain gym, sent your kids to a particular school because of peer pressure? How many of you guys have maybe posted something online or maybe not posted something online because the likes of men or stronger than the approval of God. How I many of you guys have ever, ever marginalized God, hidden your Jesus following because of peer pressure? Because you didn't want people to think you were some weird fanatic, right? Here it is, guys. Jesus following is not for cowards. Because cowardice corrupts Jesus following. You're going to have to make a choice. You're going to please men or you're going to please God. Now, I know sometimes you can do both. But there will be other times when we have to make a choice. Who are you going to live for? You're going to do what they want, whoever they are, or what he wants? Are you going to do it the way they want you to, no matter who they are, or the way he wants you to when those two ways clash? Which they will. See, the question is not are you going to get into trouble? question is who are you going to get in trouble with with people or with God and what are you going to get in trouble for because sometimes we just can't please both God and people people we love people we admire people we want to be accepted by people with power so we're going to have to choose and it's going to be hard and you're going to be tempted to make one of two mistakes you'll be tempted to commit one of two sins You'll either be tempted to cave, to compromise, to go soft on God's truth, to push Him away, or you'll be tempted to get all self righteous and hateful and mean and belligerent. In other words, you're going to be tempted to go soft on God's grace. And those are equally God dishonoring options, aren't they? Now, maybe we're ready to get into 1 Peter. We're in the middle of a little series on a letter we call 1 Peter. He's writing to people like us who are getting a lot of heat for being Jesus followers, who are tempted to either compromise God's truth or compromise God's grace. Apostle Peter tells them what we need to hear. So if you're ready, we're going to start digging in at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 18 this morning. Peter opens up with a question that expresses a general truth. This is a general truth, not an absolute truth. There's a difference between the two. A general truth is usually true, but not always. He says, who's going to want to harm you if you're eager to do good? Now, you can't see it in English, but you can actually shape a question in Greek so that you expect a negative answer. What he's saying is this. People aren't going to mess with you if you try to be good. Will they? And usually that's true, right? If you treat people decently, most people are more likely to treat you decently back. If you're decent to your neighbors, they're usually decent to you. If you're good to your coworkers, they're usually going to be good to you. If you don't post hateful stuff online, you're less likely to have people out there trying to cancel you. With exceptions. Here are two of the exceptions. There are others. Exception number one, believe it or not, there are people out there who are going to target you because you're good, right? Who will want to harm you if you're going to do good? Well, there are people out there who are going to take advantage of you, who will try to use you because you're good. They know you're compassionate. They know you're generous. They know you're trusting. So you become their mark, their victim, their quarry. And then there's exception two. Who will want to harm you if you're going to do, eager to do good? Well, there are people out there who are going to try to harm you because they don't agree with you on what you think is good, right? What you think is good and what they think is good are not the same. In fact, sometimes what we think is good and what God thinks is good are not always the same. Who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? Well, What if you think it's good to fight against abortion and they don't? What if you think it's good to judge a person by their character instead of by the color of their skin and they don't? What if you think it's good to reserve sex for the marriage bed and they don't? Who gets to define what is good? Is that my call? Is that our culture's call? Is it his call? Who defines it for you? Be honest. Who is your God? In fact, Peter goes here in the next verse. He says, but even if you do suffer for doing what's right, because sometimes it'll happen. Even if you do suffer for doing what is right God's way, as God defines it, God's going to reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. In other words, sometimes we do suffer for doing what's right. I hope you do. Because there are people out there who are going to target you if they think you're good and compassionate and generous and trusting, right? And because there are people out there who just don't agree with you on what you call good. So sometimes we're going to suffer for doing what's right if we have the courage to do what's right. Even when others think it's weak or wrong. Because you can't be a coward and a Jesus follower. So here's teaching point number one. I'm going to give you several of these this morning, teaching points. Teaching point number one, you're going to make someone mad. Make sure it's not God. There are people out there who just don't agree with God, and they think that following Jesus is naive or stupid or twisted. Guys, I don't care what they want you to do, no matter who they are. I don't even care what you want you to do. Do good His way. You're going to make someone mad and make sure it's not God. They're going to challenge us, guys. They're going to mock us. They're going to cancel us. So be it. They're going to mock us when we do things like reserve sex for marriage where God put it for so many good reasons. Be strong. They're going to challenge our defense of the traditional family, traditional marriage as God designed it for so many good reasons. Be courageous. Be courageous. They're going to try to cancel us for our defenses of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. Okay. Take a God-honoring stand anyway. They're going to expect us to join their causes and sometimes in support of those causes to do some things that are God-dishonoring. Don't do it. Just do the right thing as God defines it. And Peter says, God will reward you for it. How cool is that? Now, for some, that may not seem so compelling because it's hard to look past the pain of the present. But literally, people, Peter says, you are blessed. You are blessed right now. Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed by God. So bottom line, do you want to be accepted and admired and blessed by men, or do you want to be accepted and admired and blessed by God because sometimes we're going to have to choose between the two. Now, what God's blessing is going to look like on you or feel like on you, I don't know. I just don't want you to miss it. So, Peter says, as a result of all this, don't worry. Don't be afraid of their threats. Don't fear their fears, it says literally. Don't fear their fears. We don't fear people. We fear God. They fear Peer pressure. We fear God. Listen, guys, when you fear people, they own you. When you're worried about what they're going to think about you or say about you or do to you, they own you. We get so scared of the wrong stuff. I don't want to be shamed. I don't want to be humiliated. I want to be canceled. So we compromise. God's truth. Cowardice corrupts Jesus' following always. So don't worry. Don't be afraid of their threats, Peter says. Before I move on, let me just give you teaching point number two. Here it is. Your convictions and your mettle as a Jesus follower are going to be tested. We live in a world that's at war with God. We live in a world that constantly tries to get God to compromise, God to bend. Because of that, if you're a Jesus follower, your convictions and your mettle are going to be tested. Don't bend. Don't compromise. He's God, Right? So instead of worrying and fearing their threats, Peter says, instead, worship Christ as Lord. Hmm. I'm not real fond of that translation. The NIV puts it a little better, I think. It says, don't fear their threats, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Revere Him. That's better. Don't fear them, fear Him. Reverence Him. Treat Him as holy because he is our Lord. They're not. And if you really do revere him most, you're going to fear them less. Still go, they go together. You can't worship him. You can't revere him and fear men more. And then Peter says, as a result, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Because here it is, guys. If you really do live this weirdly and you are this bold, they're going to want to know why. And if you do fear God, not men, and if you actually put God first, you're already preaching Jesus. You're preaching it with your life. Point number three, live your faith before you preach it. Live out your faith before you preach it. Because if you actually revere Christ as Lord... They're likely going to ask you about your hope as a believer. They're going to wonder why you're different. You've been married 20 years and your wife doesn't hate you. How'd you manage that? Well, I try to treat her the way God wants me to. I don't always do it, but I try. Or your kids don't seem to hate you. At least they're not posting those hateful things about you on TikTok. How'd you manage that? Well, we do try to teach our kids to love God most and that kind of bleeds into everything else. Or you seem to have some pretty strong convictions and yet you don't go around dissing people even those you disagree with. What's with that? Well, I am a Jesus follower. Or you've gone through some real tough times and you're not self-medicating and you're not depressed. You seem to be doing pretty well. How are you pulling that off? Well, I do follow Jesus, and that brings some hope and some peace and some strength that helps me get past that. You ever felt that kind of stuff? You can. Live your faith before you preach it, which leads to teaching point number four. Your trials will create opportunities for ministry. That's a big churchy word, but what I simply mean is this. When they see how you handle the tough times that you're going to go through, they're going to listen harder when you tell them about the one you lean on, the one you serve, the one you worship, the one you revere. When they ask about the hope that you have as a believer, you're going to have an opportunity to point people towards Jesus if you have the clarity and the courage. But, he says, and this is huge, this is huge, do it gently. Do it respectfully. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they're going to be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Listen, there are those who watch you. Are they going to honor Jesus because of the way you live? Share Jesus. Point them to Jesus. Let them know who you stand for and why. But with gentleness towards men and with respect towards God. Gentleness with people, gentleness with those we're trying to nudge towards Jesus, that's the grace part. And respect towards God. We don't compromise, we don't negotiate, we don't concede when it comes to God's truth. Grace and truth. That means if your grace is leading you to equivocate on God's truth, you need some courage, you need some boldness. You need to remember who God is. It means if your stand on God's truth is leading you to start treating people without grace, if you actually start treating people without grace, you need to shut up because you're not helping him. Which leads to teaching point number five. Let the offense be Jesus, not you. Jesus actually told us if the world hates me, which it does, it's going to hate you. They're going to push back on God. They're going to push back on Jesus. and That means they're going to push back on his truth, and they're going to even push back on his grace. It is not our job to soften the offensiveness of Jesus. But don't add to it by being a jerk. Sometimes they push back on Jesus because we're jerks, right? I don't know how many people have been pushed away from the church because of the hypocrisy of Jesus' followers because of our prejudices, because of our immoralities. Man, I've heard people tell me that in this room. I don't know how many people have pushed Jesus away because of our arrogance, our dismissiveness, even our hatred. You may not carry signs around like those twits from Westboro Baptist, but sometimes people see the hate or dismissiveness in our faces and hear it in our words. Let the offense be Jesus, guys, not us. Sometimes we wonder what the problem is as we try to nudge people towards Jesus, and sometimes the problem is us. One more teaching point from this verse, and it's related. Here it is, teaching point number six. Connect before you correct. Connect before you correct. correct. Stole that language from Mark Driscoll. It's pretty good. Marty Pinkston puts it like this. He used to say this. He said, they need to know you care before they care what you know. Peter tells us to give them a reason for the hope that is within us with gentleness, with gentleness. if We speak God's truth with God's grace. We're gonna have to connect before we correct, right? And then verse 17, which takes us right back to where we started. Peter says, remember, it's better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. We're going to suffer, all of us do, all of us will. We're going to suffer because we live in these broken bodies in this broken world and we're going to have accidents like they do and we're going to get sick like they do and we're going to get old and die physically like they do. We're going to suffer because we do stupid stuff, because we sin and when we sin we end up hurting ourselves and people around us. We're going to suffer because people around us sin. In fact, sometimes people sin against us because we're weird, we're Jesus followers, so be it. Jesus' following is not for cowards. We're going to suffer. But listen, it's better to suffer for doing good as God defines good than to suffer for doing wrong, right? You're going to have to make a choice. Who are you going to live for? Who are you going to fear? See, the question is not are you going to suffer sometimes. The question is what are you going to suffer for? Because sometimes you can't please both God and people. You're going to have to choose and it's going to be hard. So truth and grace. Truth and grace. God's truth reflecting God's grace. He's not just our Savior, guys. He's our Lord. And it's the only way to live. Now, I'm not quite done. Just a couple more pieces from the next couple verses. But before we wrap this stuff up, we're going to sing a song. And this song is going to give us the opportunity to reaffirm that Jesus really is our Lord, not just our Savior, but our Lord. Here's some of the words. Listen to these words you're going to sing. Make them your own. Let the king of my heart, who is that? Let him be the wind inside my sails, the anchor in the waves, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins, the echo of my days, oh, he is my song. Let's stand and sing this together.